This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. This is one of our Friday shorts, which, as the name suggests, is coming out on a Friday and hopefully is going to be relatively short. The idea is to give you something extra to listen to while we're all locked down and unable to get really far out into the great outdoors. Um, so hopefully you're going to enjoy what we're going to talk about. I'm Tom Marvin, technical editor at Bike Radar and MBUK, and with us is Rob Weaver. He's our technical editor in chief. Hello. And we've also got Seb Stott, who is one of our technical writers and all-round tech guru. Hello. So we've all been riding bikes for decades, and there's definitely some bikes that have stuck in our minds as some of the favourite we've ever had the opportunity to ride. Also, we get to test a lot of the latest mountain bikes out there on the market, and some of those are pretty cool too. So we wanted to talk about our favourite ever bike from, well, all time, and also our favourite current mountain bike that's out there at the moment. So Rob, I know that the bike you're going to talk about from, you know, from your past is is pretty interesting. You've had a long and rather illustrious career in <laughs> downhill mountain bike racing. Um, so <laughs> tell us about the bike. So um, it was in fact my first downhill bike uh, and it was a giant ATX2. So it wasn't the top flight ATX1, but the two. Um, so I'd already started racing downhill mm, probably 90, I want to say 95, 96. And I got this, I think, so that was on a hardtail. And I got this in 97, I think it was. Um, and so back then, you know, going from a hardtail onto something like that, it was just incredible. Um, so the ATX used, it was a single pivot with a linkage activated shock. Um, I think it had, I think it must have had about six inches of travel, I think, something That's, like that. That sounds I like think, quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it was quite a bit. And I think, because I think um, I think Rob Warner and some of the World Cup guys had theirs jacked up to about eight inches. Um, but I, so when the bike came, so we actually got some help from Giant. So when the bike came, I had... It had some good stuff on it. It had Magura brakes, HS33, so rim brakes, um, which worked pretty well, unless it was muddy. And then, you know, you'd, with the brace uh, that ran across in front of them to help 
support them, uh, you would end up just getting them clogged up with mud. Right. And then your wheels would stop moving, which was kind of rubbish. But um, as soon as I, I think I had a part-time job maybe, and then as soon as I had some cash, I, I changed, I got some Hope C2s. So I changed the Mavic. I had the Mavic uh, D321. So some of their first Classic, disc yeah. only um, rims on Hope bulbs. So they weren't the big ones. They were the cheaper, smaller um, Hope hubs. Um, and it had, what else did it have? It had an azonic stem. And I think the stem must have been maybe 80 mil. It was massive. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've just written a bike review for a cross-country race bike with an 80 mil stem. Right. <laughs> so, and then, and then uh, in 99, I got uh, the Boxer 151. So Boxer became, uh, you could buy it from 98. It was first, it first sort of went into general release in 98. And then I couldn't get one then, but I got in 99, I managed to save up enough and get the 151. So 151 mil of travel. And put it onto the and same frame. Yeah, yeah. And that thing just was like nine day difference. So I took off an RST high five. So that uses elastomers, mm-hmm. um, which uh, for those not in the know are awful. And it's, it's basically just foam, isn't it? Yeah, it's just foam. It's just, a, it's just, it was, I think like five, five segments of foam, little foam cylinders and there'd be different densities denoted by different colours. Um, and it didn't really matter what you did with them. You could arrange <laughs> them in different orders, whatever it might be. If it was slightly cold out or really warm, it would change the fork completely. So going to something like, um, you know, a, a boxer at the time was just, yeah, a night and day difference. Um, what else did that bike have? It had an AC chain device which was custom it actually made custom for that bike so it had okay. um it had mounts specifically for the swing arm that it bolted to and it was sprung loaded so the rear the sorry the lower lower part of the device would flap up and down but soon enough you'd break the spring and they would just you know smash into the chain into the chain state constantly <laughs> sounds, ex- sounds excellent all sorts of noises but i think the main thing for me was just that so eventually, by the time I got it, you know, so the front was coil sprung, the back obviously was coil sprung as well. Um, once that bike was up and running, it was, yeah, it was incredible. It was such a good bike. And by today's standards, yeah, the geometry was way, 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 you know, too small for me, even back mm-hmm. then. Um, and I think I said to you earlier, yeah, you know, the, the bottom bracket, I would confidently say I could limbo underneath. Um <laughs> It was, yeah, it was really high, but the, the suspension worked pretty well. It was really sensitive. Um, and if, if, if you took the suspension from then and, and plonked it onto a bike now, like, would it at all compare or? As in the, the, the dampers themselves? Well, the whole, the whole sort of feel of the whole suspension, yeah, the spring and the damper. Um, and It's hard to say because want, I wonder how much in my head I've kind of got rose tinted goggles it. on. Yeah, totally. Kind of elevated it up there and thinking, yeah, it was actually really good. I remember at one point, so when when Tim Flukes had um, originally stopped working on the road with SRAM and set up TF Tuned, mm-hmm. he gave me he gave me a shock that would just been left on the race truck from some Swedish um, downhill pro. Okay, and it was it was one of the 
one of the newer super deluxe shocks and he tuned that for me and he tuned my fork as well and I remember when that had been done it was incredible the difference was phenomenal you know just putting the right shim stacks in making sure you got the right weight oil all those sort of small things that those guys could do and had a ton of experience doing made such a difference to the bike and Mm. um yeah I would say yeah it'd be interesting if you could stick that old fork and shock onto a modern day bike it'd be interesting to see how it would sort of compare bit of a tangent but the um those fox vanilla rc shocks were amazing back in the day I, i remember using one of those and having it tuned and that thing was phenomenal and I, I think at the time, Fox had a couple of different sort of shocks that they were pushing to the public. But I, I'm pretty sure a lot of the pros kept a vanilla RC shock in the truck and would swap it on for race weekends or for race runs with a special tune in there, which was pretty cool. But yeah, sorry, back back to the Giant. Yeah, I mean, once I had it pretty much set up um, with the coil coil fork and um and the hope brakes on there yeah i absolutely love that bike it's phenomenal um how happy like would you yeah. be if uh, it could be uh sort of magicked back to to today would you would you go hit some big downhill tracks on it still or would you be a little bit more uh well that's the thing it was back then it was like so we've gone from that whole era where you had one bike to ride everything so you'd race cross country downhill you know all you did put your saddle down and then we went to, I went to owning a downhill bike. So I'd go and ride that on dirt jumps and stuff like that. So it's still, if I had to go and then go and ride, a, I guess, a modern downhill track, it'd be okay. I don't think I'd be particularly eager to go out and do it, but I think it'd be survivable. How about you, Seb? What, was, uh, what stuck in your memory from, from yesteryear? I was going to say that the best, um, the the kind of most improved bike I ever had, as in the, the biggest sort of leap forward, was when I went from a, at a Lapierre Spicy uh, 2011. Um, and then I went to a specialized Enduro 29. So I'd, I'd gone from a, a bike that was um, A, way too small for me, and 26, to, to a bike that was... Um, well, still small by today's standards, but was massively longer. Felt like it fitted me much better. And just the the things you could do in it were kind of light years ahead, even though it had the same sort of travel. Um, so I used to ride a lot at Inalevan. And there's um, there's a bit of Inalevan where there's a quite famous sort of road gap jump, uh, kind of a third of the way down. Uh, You've, you're probably familiar with it, Rob. It's mm. uh, and on the side of it, there's a there's a push up track where you can get up to the top. And um, on my lap here, I tried and failed so many times to get up to the top. I, I could never could never get could never get that climb. Um, but then I remember the first time I rode the Specialized, I kind of sailed up that climb. Just had a dropper on it for the first time, so just put the dropper down, turned around, came back down, and, and could do the road gap. Uh, and that was just mind blowing to me that you know on one bike, just the touch of a button, you could kind of go from climbing up something I never climbed before, to going down you know pretty technical downhill tracks that you know a few years previous I'd been riding on a downhill bike. 
Um, so I guess for me, that was the first bike that was a really uncompromised, well, relatively uncompromised, both climbing and descending. And I just thought that was so cool. And uh, I, I kind of, I'm still well into that, that kind of, uh, that category of bikes, uh, the, what we'd now call enduro bikes. At the time, we just called them trail bikes. They, they could go really well uphill and downhill. I thought that was really cool to be able to do both on one bike. So, and that was the first bike that really did that for me. How about you, Tom? Uh, it probably won't surprise you guys to hear that the bike I, I still look longingly at is the, uh, is the 2016 generation Transition Scout, which uh, is a little a little 27.5 trail bike that I had long-term for what mountain bike back in the day. Um, 125 mil of travel at the back. Uh, one forty mil fork, uh, and I rode that bike to absolute death for not just the year that uh, I had it for the mag, but for the year afterwards as well, because um, it didn't it didn't quite go back to wind wave uh, as promptly as maybe it might have done. Um, <laughs> I absolutely loved. It. I ran it with sort of like big sticky tires. Um, I had uh, the previous generation when the Pike was uh, released. I had that with. You know, top flight suspension on the front and then uh, I ran it with a coil shock at the back which for a 125 mil trail bike sort of probably seemed a little odd but um had a cane creek uh inline coil shock with a, a climb switch um and the reason I, I just I just loved it it was just the most fun little bike I could imagine riding it wasn't super long it wasn't super modern um but you know, it's not a bike that I kind of wanted to necessarily go super fast on, but you could really rattle down tracks, you know, whether it's big techie stuff or, or smoother stuff. It just had a bit of everything. And I just think I loved every single ride that I did on that bike. And yeah, maybe rose tinted specs, but it was it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, the last time it was ridden, uh, I haven't ridden it for probably a year and a half um, because I've had too much other stuff to go ride. Um it did. St- I took it out to the Alps um, on holiday, some before last, uh, and my friend who guides out there, his bike broke. I think um, while I was out there, and following having ridden that, he's he's subsequently gone and uh, fitted out his personal bike with half the components that were left on that bike at the time. You know, he really loved it. Um, yeah, everyone who's ridden it really loved it. So that's why. It's a good reason. They yeah. were great bikes. Well, they still are. It's good bikes. They've, they've changed it up a little bit. So they, they went with their SBG geometry on the next generation bike, um, Scout, which is the, you know, uh, short offset, a lot longer, I guess more capable um, bike. Um, but when I rode it, it was, it was quite heavy. And while it was sort of arguably better down a hill, it sort of lacked that um, the character, I felt, um, that the previous one had. Mm. And that's probably why I didn't quite like it so much. Still a great you bike. Get like, eBay, absolutely you want to get on eBay but, and get an ATX Giant ATX. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> kind of back to what you guys were saying, especially Seb, when he was saying about how it was what he could do on the bike that really stood out. Um, I had exactly the same experience. So I think there was a huge delay in everyone getting their bikes that that one season. In, I think it was 97. And I think the bike had turned up in maybe... April and we went to the first one of the first races that year and it was really wet and super rocky and I remember just going into this 
I think it was like a fallen wall. It was an old fallen wall that you were kind of crisscrossing through the top section of the track. And I remember just thinking, oh, well, well, I'm going way too fast. I'm just going to get spat straight over the bars and die. And then I rode through. And I think I must have had my eyes shut. And then I straight Hand, handy on a downhill race. Yeah, really good. Mm. I was like, oh, wow, you can survive on these things. This is incredible. <laughs> and then it was like, right, let's go do that again and again and again. And then you realise what you can do. It's it totally, I think, I think it's sort of, it's still the same sometimes when you get on new bikes. It's just maybe not the, as big a leap yeah. as it was back then. But it is. It's sort of resetting what you think is possible. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I well, had it to. I had it to a degree on. I must admit, I had it to a degree on the new specialised enduro riding some stuff that I'd ride on a, you know, a normal trail bike, and I rode the new bike and just got away with murder in some yeah. sections. I think the other thing is that back in the day when we were paying for our bikes, you know, you'd have a new bike like every three years if you're lucky. Mm. Whereas now we have like. You know, it's it's several bikes a month. So we, I guess, it's it's a bit like when you're a kid and you don't appreciate that you're growing, but then when you go and see your gran once a year, she's like, "Oh my god, you've grown massively." So I, I <laughs> think there's, there's a bit of that going on. Like, <laughs> 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 well, some some of us, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think bikes are still improving. I think a lot of people say that you know. The, the development of bikes has kind of leveled off and for sure it's maybe kind of started to level off a bit but you know there's still a lot of improvement like if you take the last year's enduro and compare it to this year's enduro totally you know huge difference in how mm-hmm. those bikes ride um well should we should yeah. we very quickly go through um our favorite bikes then that are currently out there we've um we've actually only got eight minutes left on um the recording devices that we're we're using so we're going to be fairly quick about this rob what's your current favorite bike well it's not easy picking one um but i'm gonna have to say the bike that i always come back to riding which is uh, i've got a geometron g16 mm-hmm. and there's definitely days when I get on that bike and I'm just astounded by how fast or, well, how fast it tried, you know, it lets me try to ride um, and what I can get away with on it. It's got, um, I've tamed down some of the angles. I, I've, you know, I've actually reined in the head angle um, using adjuster cups. So the head angle is just over 63 degrees, mm-hmm. but it's got a massive reach of 485. It's got a really short seat sheet, which is great for me and my little legs. It means I can still run a, a nice long dropper post. Uh, it's got a low bottom bracket, so I've stuck some um, 165 cranks on, um, so I still get plenty of clearance. Um, but, yeah, I've got I, – I, I still use that bike to test loads of stuff on. Um, so I, I always use it to test shocks because it's a bike mm-hmm. I know inside out, and it's really it works really well for that. Right now, I've got an EXT Storia Lock shock on there, which okay. is phenomenal. Um, and a big thing, again, on that bike, it's I haven't built it up particularly light. It's got double-down tyres on there from Maxxis, which are really robust and really grippy. Um, but it's got a 77-degree seat angle, which means you're in a really good, efficient climbing position. So I never feel like I'm sort of, I don't know, held back when it comes to doing bigger rides on it. 
Yeah, I've only ridden them a couple of times, but John Chun's wars come across as slightly niche in the way they ride, but super capable at all times. You know, they can just do everything, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, you know, if you if you're getting off a, a, a relatively small bike, you have to adjust your riding style. But once you sort of get used to it, it yeah, it does work really well. Mm-hmm. How about you, Seb? Um, slightly similar to Rob, actually, I would say, uh, the, the bike that I haven't sent back that I really should send back is, uh, the pole machine. So I've had that for over a year now. <laughs> I called it in for a bike test, uh, that finished about this time last year. Um, all the other bikes went back straight away and I, I asked Paul if I could hang on to that a bit longer. For um, testing purposes and... For, for just to make sure... You know, even though the mag had gone to print, wanted to be absolutely sure that I'd given it the right <laughs> score and everything was still fine. Kept um, weighing it. Kept, kept, yeah. Just just measure it. Just measure the wheelbase one more time just to make sure I got it right. Um, yeah, I mean, so similar to that specialised enduro I talked about earlier, but way more so. You, you can climb. It's such a comfortable bike to climb on because it's got that 79 degree seat angle. Um which I just find makes going uphill way easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a light bike. It weighs, you know, depending on what parts I have on it, you know, high 15 kilos, uh, getting on for 16. It's not a light bike, but it you can winch up really steep stuff very comfortably. And then on the way back down, it's like 160 mil rear, 180 mil front travel. Yeah. It uh, you, can, you can ride it on kind of super gnarly sort of bike park stuff that, that you know we tracks that we use to test downhill bikes absolutely feels in its element there but also a lot of the trails around where i live are not super rough and a lot of people would say oh it's too much bike for that kind of terrain and yeah it's, it's maybe not necessary but i don't feel any disadvantage to having all that travel mm-hmm. um and even having such a long wheelbase once you learn to kind of kind of really ride it over the front bend your elbows you can get it around some really tight corners so like that bike is just so capable and and really kind of makes the most of my uh fairly limited riding abilities and bravery so yeah i just feel like a much better rider on that bike uh, so that's why i really enjoy it cool what about you tom, tom? oh oh in sync <laughs> well that was stereo <laughs> uh <laughs> i would say it's probably completely different to your bikes um I really bloody love a specialised Epic at the moment. Um, so I, I called it in for um, a race, like a three-day marathon race um, that I did in October. Um, I think the feature just went into this issue of MBK, actually, um, a three-day marathon race in South Africa. Um, and I've raced uh, short course cross-country races on it as well. But also I just kind of use it as my um, ride-from-home mountain bike. Um, so the, it's got this brain thing. So it's got like an automatic... Uh, brass weighted lockout on the fork and the shock so it's really efficient when you're just pedaling on smooth stuff um, and then it opens itself up out on uh, when you're going over bumps and you can adjust the threshold in that um, it's a little bit clunky uh, the geometry is actually a little bit old school now for cross-country race bikes I suspect there's a new epic coming at some point fairly soon um, but I've just really been enjoying going out riding flat out as hard as I can for two hours um, and yeah, just enjoying sort of the slightly sketchy nature of a, a cross-country race bike. Uh, where I live, you can't really do any gnarly riding and because we're locked down and being as sensible as possible on our bikes, um, I've kind of been riding more for fitness, I guess, rather than going out and scaring myself on big jumps. So um, yeah, the Epic's been been great. 
Um, so yeah, that's what I've been loving at the moment. Before we get cut <laughs> off on our uh, internet video chat that we're, we're doing to make sure this all works as smoothly as possible from home. Um, yeah, thank you very much for, for listening. Um, we've got podcasts coming out every Monday, as we always do, um, and currently as many Fridays as possible. Um, so yeah, don't forget to subscribe where you can um, and share it so other people maybe come across it too. But yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Rob, and thanks, Seb. Thanks, thank Tom. You. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all on Monday. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.